0: A story from God's word that keeps Lamb. Worship the Lamb
1: Let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And again, we've been dealing with dispensations, and of course we talked a little bit last time we were together about this dispensation of innocence. And so we're going to go ahead and move past that, but I'm going to give you just a little bit of a brief summary, and then we'll go ahead forward, and we're going to address and deal with the dispensation of conscience. And so we're going to look at that today. And uh, again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 sets a foundation for us and kind of identifies the need for us to rightly divide the Scriptures. Obviously, uh, if we're not uh, putting things in their proper place, then we won't have things in their proper perspective, and it will create a lot of confusion. And so we find here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we've been, again, trying to rightly divide the word of truth and doing our best to do so. Now, in this uh, dispensation that we just spoke about here a few weeks back, innocence, there was the absence of sin. And we know that uh, there was the presence of God, however, though, because, remember, Adam and Eve would walk in in the cool of the day, and, boy, they had the opportunity to literally be in the very presence of God and in this Edenic dispensation, or during the time they were in Eden, God dealt with Adam on the basis of innocence. And again, we would note later that he would be tested, and of course he would fail that test, and uh, of course he would throw man into sin. We'd be in a mess now, from now on, as a result of that. He was under probation, but now mankind is under condemnation, and we say that over in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 18, and... Um, so ever since the fall, of course, we've been in a mess, and and uh, I don't think anybody would argue that. I think even folks that don't know anything about the Bible would say we're a pretty good mess today. Things are kind of difficult, and there's all kind of obstacles we have to face. But what we found and what we've seen is that this dispensation of conscience—I uh, mean, excuse me—of innocence ended in failure. And what we'll find along the way is that every time we turn around as God deals with mankind in different ways throughout different times, and again, uh, don't get all, don't lose your mind when I say things like that, but uh, he does deal with people slightly differently. We're going to see that under the law, he dealt with people differently than he deals with them now. And so it's not something that's unscriptural. It's just something we need to rightly divide because if we don't, we're going to be all messed up and mixed up. And so we identify how God addresses and deals with mankind, but what we will find, no matter when and where he deals with mankind throughout history, mankind always ends up failing. In every situation, no matter how good God is, no matter what he provides us with, no matter what tools he gives us, we always make a mess of everything. We're just really good at it. So in mercy, God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. And uh, he did that because, of course, if they had have eaten of the tree of life, then, of course, they would have been doomed forever to live in that sinful, mortal body of theirs. And, of course, that's not any way to live. We know that this body is dying all the time, and we don't want a dead body. We want a living body. And uh, so uh, we're going to see a couple of truths. First of all, uh, we learn a lesson here. Um, and that lesson is simply this. You know, mankind always claims that, you know, if we just clean up the environment, we just clean up our, our, uh, our situation, if we put uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the social and economic and all of this stuff in perfect condition, then mankind will succeed without a doubt. It's just going to happen. I mean, look at the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a perfect environment so if we can just get a, I mean, it's proof positive then that no matter how good the environment is, no matter how um, uh, positive it is, or how much potential it serves or poses, mankind's still going to make a failure and a mess of it all. That's all there is to it. Uh, So, you know, every time we turn around in the Word of God, we're finding that mankind is making a mess of things. And someone says, well, that's, that's pretty negative, you know. Well, yeah, absolutely it is. That's why we have the Lord Jesus Christ, to make a positive. Without him, we got nothing. We're nobody. We're nothing. We're big zeros. I mean, uh, we're, 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 we have no more value than a little ant crawling down the road. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we, we really like to believe ourselves to be pretty big stuff, but we're not whole, very big stuff. Matter of fact, we're nothing without Jesus Christ. And, uh, boy, when we can grasp that concept and we can really figure that out, then all of a sudden everything else gets a lot easier. So we see how this particular dispensation of innocence ended. It ended in failure, of course. And so it moves us now to this element of conscience, the next dispensation. How's that going to end, of course? And, you know, I've kind of given you a preview already, and I said it all ends in failure. So you kind of got an idea, but we'll talk a little bit more about that along the way. But this dispensation is going to extend from the fall all the way to the flood. About 1,652 years or around 1,650 years is what it's going to basically entail. And uh, it's called the dispensation of conscience, or that's how it's referred to. Now, We'll have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll kind of go through a little bit of introductory stuff, and then we'll move along into some things and just kind of look over that particular dispensation very quickly and uh, see how it ends. And hopefully we can get through it quickly, but there's a lot of material here, and we'll see how fast we can move tonight, okay? So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together, and we are grateful, Father, for these that have gathered tonight. And Lord, of course, we've gathered because we want to learn something from your word. We want to glean so that, Father, we can grow. And then ultimately, in our growth, we can serve you. Lord, obviously, we want to please you with our life and our lips. And so, Lord, just help us, Father, to learn what we need to learn today. And, uh, Father, we'll thank you for that. Thank you for your book. Thank you for the Word of God. And we're just so grateful for the position that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, be glorified in this service, as you are so worthy of our praise. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so again, it goes from the fall to the flood. Now, if you know anything about your Bible, you already know how the flood ends, right? Okay, so that kind of gives you a little preview as to what to expect along the way, right? But uh, this dispensation of conscience, as we look at it, mankind was treated as a whole. God hadn't started dealing with nations individually or anything like that. He was still dealing with mankind as a whole at this point. And so, uh, actually, we see it referenced over in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Go ahead and turn over there, and you can see uh, just what God's speaking, what's, what's really going on here, but we're going to see something very interesting about this particular time period. Prior to the law, things were a little bit different again, and again, uh, it, it's not that God doesn't hold people accountable, as we're going to find out here in just a moment, but the truth is, is that, well, he addressed and he deals with people slightly differently, and uh, as a result, we're going to see uh, that uh, Um, mankind is kind of being in a probationary type period every time. Okay, here's here's the tools I'm giving you. Here's what I'm going to set you up with. And so that you have no excuse at the judgment one day, I'm going to make sure that humanity recognizes and realizes that no matter what advantage they have, it will always end up the same way. Because it's you. Sinners. Do you get where I'm going with that? Okay, so that's kind of how it works. So here he is now, he's going to give him a shot, okay, so to speak. He's going to give him a chance to shine. And notice over in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the Bible says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, of course, we talked about those times that he winked at, but then we also said there were times that are for now. And we, we talked about how uh, the Bible divides up in a number of different uh, breakdowns. And we looked at all the charts, and I showed you some different things here and there. But in this particular case, we're told that in this dispensation, God winked at what he was not able to overlook. He can't overlook sin, but by the same token, in a sense, he winked at it. Why? Because there was no real legal uh, expression of what his demands were at this point. I mean, he hadn't written it out. It wasn't in stone. It wasn't in the word of God. I mean, there were some things there that weren't quite as plain and clear as they are today. And so in this case, the Bible says that he winked at some things, okay? Now, again, conscience was really how mankind either excused or, um, or accused himself before God. And, and we talk about this conscience. And sometimes, you know, you, you know uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But anyway, Romans chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, which shew the work of the law. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go over there. You go over there too. Romans 2, verse 14. Let's start over there. Acts, Romans. Just giving you a little help there. Acts chapter, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 14, okay? Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Over there, we begin reading in 14, and it says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which shew the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So, In this time period here, there was no law written out yet. There wasn't the grace of God expressed, but there was the fact that mankind had communed with God. There'd been those who had had direct access to God. They were aware of God. However, in this case, their conscience either, as the Bible says here in verse 15, it it accused them or excused them amongst one another and before God. So the conscience was the key by which God was going to judge them, so to speak, or look at them or, or test them through conscience. So how will man fare when he, he relies solely on his conscience to determine, as to, to determine whether or not he will fare well with God? How's he going to do? How's he going to perform, if you will? Will he come out smelling like a rose or will he come out in a bad situation? Well, what we're going to find is that when mankind is given this opportunity to function or to operate on conscience, it doesn't turn out well. It doesn't turn out well at all. So again, we're going to see here that, I mean, Cain, we talk about Cain. I mean, he, he had direct contact uh, with God. We know that. We're going to talk a little bit more about him. But what we're going to see is him and maybe even Enoch. Remember Enoch, he's over here walking with God. We've got men like uh, Noah, who's been chosen out because of his testimony and his lifestyle and all the good things that God has seen in him. There is the the presence of of God in a sense. I mean, he's communing with, he's seeing people. Uh, And so prior to the law, and that law wasn't given until Exodus, that wasn't given until many, many years later, there was still the knowledge of sin in that sense. There was no, excuse, I say no no knowledge of sin, at least legally speaking. But they were still without excuse. They still couldn't live however they wanted and not be judged. The thought is possibly, well, because there was no actual law written out, because there was no Bible that was in writing, therefore mankind was free to do whatever they wanted, and God just simply overlooked everything, completely overlooked it. He didn't overlook it. The Bible says he winked at it, but still, because they did have a conscience and because they did know that there was a God, they were responsible to respond to God in a proper way. Sadly enough, we know again they didn't. They didn't. So we have to distinguish between a couple of those dispensations, one with law and one without law. And in this case, excuse me, without law and under the law. So you have under the law with, with the, uh, uh, you know, when you get to uh, Exodus and he's writing with his finger, the, 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 the you know, the tablets, the, the, the stone tablets, and then you have uh, without law over here prior to that taking place. And uh, we're going to see once again, as we said, that it doesn't turn out well with conscience. It just doesn't work. So in Romans 2 12, it says, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. So again, God's still going to hold them accountable. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So they're going to be judged by the law that they had possession of and that they were aware of. And these that were that did not have that law yet, that lived prior to the law being actually given, they couldn't hold it in their hand, they couldn't hear it shared or talked about by the prophets as they did in the Old Testament, they're going to be judged without law. But either way, there's going to be judgment. Either way, they're going to be held accountable for their sin. Uh, we know that him to do, know, to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so even though they may not have been given something specific in writing, they weren't told something spe- uh, given something uh, written in stone, the fact was is that their conscience was to guide them. Guess what? That conscience didn't work. And you and I today have a conscience as well. And what we're going to learn is that our conscience is no better served uh, in dealing with God than, than theirs was. It doesn't do us any better. Uh, so the fact is is that ignorance of the law is no excuse, and uh, it's, it's not going to save us from punishment. So if someone says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just not ever going to go to church I'm never going to read my Bible. I'm never going to do anything to reach out to God. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to make sure I close, I put my fingers in my ears and go la, 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 when anybody's talking about the Bible because then God can't hold me accountable. Well, what we learn in this dispensation is that even though they did not have the law, they were held accountable. So y- y- you don't get away with it just because you say, well, I didn't know God. You will say, yeah, but what I did give you, you should have acted upon. What you did have access to and the abilities you did have to know me, then you should have acted on those. But instead, we bury our head in the sand and we think that ignorance is going to save us at the judgment, but it doesn't, nor will it. And as a result, uh, it's going to be a problem for some. So, in this particular dispensation, conscience... Uh, mankind is guided by their conscience. And, you know, of course, we all know, if you're at least 40 or over, probably 50 or over, we all know that Jiminy Cricket is our, is our, in our conscience. He tells us our conscience is our guide. We all know this. Because we all know that every good Christian uh, ought to, you know, uh, have the whole collection uh, of, of Disney. You don't know if I'm serious or not, do you? <laughs> let me encourage you, take a look at Disney sometime. But anyway, be careful what you watch, okay? Just be careful. Care what you expose your children to. There are some of those shows that aren't too swift. So anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. I'm sure you appreciate that. But anyway, um, your conscience, let your conscience be your guide. And we've heard that for years, haven't we? Now, how many times have you heard recently in the last 10, 15 years, my child doesn't have any conscience? That kid doesn't have a conscience. Man, psychologists are good about that today. They don't have a conscience. And, and, you know, and it makes it almost sound like they were born, like, defected. Like children were born without something. It's almost like they were born without a brain. It's like something they're born without an arm. They are born without a leg. That kid doesn't have a conscience. Can I tell you that that wasn't something they were born without? That's something they were never taught, never learned. And let me explain what, that, what I mean by that real quick. Conscience is a knowledge of good and evil. There's a knowledge of good and evil in this. And, and, and until Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they didn't have a knowledge of good and evil either, remember? So when they ate of it, they, 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 they got the knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's the thing. Conscience may produce fear and remorse in your life, but conscience will never keep you from doing wrong because the conscience itself has no real power. It's, it's not, it, it has no power over you. It can't, it can't help you overcome sin in that sense. The only thing it can do is make you aware of it. So here's my point. If somebody doesn't have a conscience... They just don't know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. Haven't been taught many times. I'm telling you, we are raising a generation that has no concept of conscience because we do not teach them absolute truth. There's no right and wrong today. No wonder there's no conscience. No wonder nobody blushes. No wonder there's no guilt or, 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 or conviction anymore because people aren't being taught that there's right and there's wrong. There's good and there's evil. That, that's the basis of conscience. Now, I, I'm a, I, I struggle because I believe that modern psychologists can help people. I believe that there's things they can do to be a blessing and a help to folks. And I'm not opposed to all the, the knowledge they've amassed. My, I'm thankful that people have taken the time to understand and try to learn about the mind and how it works. And you know what? They're, they're, they can be a tremendous asset And overcoming different things at times and I think sometimes they you know in some cases they're totally ignorant of God's ways and at times they can maybe take you off the deep end that way but if many times even (laughs) I'm amazed how many of the principles that you'll find in psychology that are still somewhat biblically rooted to a degree or another however you need to be very careful because what's happening is is that we are training a generation and unfortunately, even psychologists, they are teaching parents that you can't instill those kind of feelings in kids without creating guilt in them. Well, I want my kid to feel some guilt. Man, I want them feeling a lot of it. And I want them feeling conviction. And I want them feeling bad when they make my name look bad in the community. I want them to be upset. I do. I want them to feel Horrible. I want them to cry themselves to sleep when they don't live up to the expectation that they ought to for an O'Donnell. You say that's that's so bad. Well, you go ahead, you've bought into modern psychology. The self-esteem of a person, it's so valuable. They'll think so little of themselves. No wonder we have all these people killing themselves has nothing to do with that. You don't kill yourself if you didn't think you were of any value. You couldn't be hurt if you thought you deserved it. That has nothing to do with it. We overvalue our, we, we, we overvalue ourselves. We think we're more valuable than we are, therefore we get ourselves hurt, we get our feelings hurt, we think people should treat us better than they do. Why does somebody say that about me and all that? One, uh you know what that is? It's your pride. That's you thinking you're somebody. That's me thinking I'm somebody. How could, you, how could you talk about me like that? Man, I, I have lived... My, oh, I see. So you do think you're pretty, you're pretty important. Nope. And you know what? The world is trying to teach that. You cannot teach a child certain things. You can't instill in them this wrong and right attitude. You can't tell them no. You can't tell them there's absolutes because you're going to somehow... Their psyches are fragile. You're going to wreck and ruin that poor little kid. No, you're not. You're going to instill in them a balance in their life. Some kind of foundation by which when their girlfriend at the age of 13 says that she's dropping him like a hot rock, he doesn't run out and commit suicide. Because he understands a little bit about life. That, well, rejection's part of it. That you don't always get your way. That think life isn't always easy. That everybody's not supposed to coddle you and take care of you and pet you and tell you how wonderful you are. You say, I thought we was coming to church not a psychology class. Let me tell you something. The Bible is the best psychology book you'll ever read in your life. It's a wonderful book for that. Now again, like I said, there are tremendous. I have, I have listen, I'll be frank with you. I have, uh, and some people may not agree with this one, but I have sent people to, <laughs> to counselors and psychologists. I've said, this, this is beyond me. This is beyond me. You need a little professional help. And I'm a professional in what I do, but there are some things that are really tricky here, and it may help you if you take another step in this direction. Now, be careful who and where you go. Let's work together even on it if you like. But by the same token, there needs to be sometimes that we need that. So I'm not opposed to it. I'm just telling you, be careful. The first thing people want to do today is either send us to the world for help, and two, give us medication for it. And I'm telling you that we ought to start first in the word of God and find the balm of Gilead before we start taking other kind of drugs into our system. And then if those, we rule things out and we do what we have to from there. Okay, now again, I don't mean to offend anybody. And if you are seeing a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or a counselor, hey, listen, more power to you. And again, I just pray and hope that they're not steering you any other way than a biblical direction. And if they are, you got a good one. You got a good one. You probably ought to hold on to them, okay? It, until you need them. I mean, you don't need them, of course. You don't want to keep paying that amount until, unless you have to, right? But, I mean, I know how that goes. You know, i, I, I tell you what. I'm, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, I was going to talk about how much I get for counseling sessions versus what they get. But anyway, you might be willing to take a step down if you knew how little I charge. But anyway... You say, but it may not be as good, but it's sure a lot cheaper. No, it's sure a lot cheaper. Yeah. But anyway, okay. So anyway, we, we, we see these things, and, and I think it's, uh, I, I kind of got off a tangent, okay, and we're, we're almost out of time. Uh, this is wonderful. But uh, conscience again, the knowledge of good and evil. Now, so th- what goes down here in this dispensation? Well, we know that after the fall, there are children that are born to Adam and Eve. And of course, um, she's going to have two kids uh, that are singled out, that is. Because sometimes when you read the the passages over there, you get the idea that she had two kids. And then you go, "Well, where in the world did Cain get his wife? That'd be a great question if there were only two kids. I mean, we'd have a real problem. Procreation would never have happened if that was the case. And so the fact is, is that it doesn't seem likely that Abel was the second child. And you say, what do you mean? Well, there may have been, I believe, a number of children somehow before even Abel was born. I mean, sons, daughters, all kinds of children potentially. Now again, I think in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, let's look over there. Look at at this um, curse that's imposed on Eve. This is interesting because when, of course, we know that, of course, she ate of the fruit of the tree and so God passed a curse on to her as well as he did each and every one involved in that process but notice Genesis 3:16 and notice what he says to the woman unto the woman he said i will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now notice this. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Ooh, boy, I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of, that's an interesting kind of statement. That's kind of weird. I'll greatly multiply. I'm going to multiply thy conception. The impression that I get is that, you know, that births weren't necessarily, they weren't, they, they weren't unusual. Matter of fact, they seem to be rather frequent than based on what I'm hearing, that it's going to be something that's quite common. And why wouldn't it be, right? I mean, she's the only woman, so if we're going to populate the world, we're going to have to have a lot of kids and a lot of kids fast. You know where I lean on this? I really kind of believe that, I kind of believe that she was having litters of children. I don't think she had one at a time. I think she might have had two or three or four or five kids at a time. I think she could have had a lot of kids at a time. I mean, obviously her sorrows being multiplied too. Now that's not just her husband's fault. <laughs> it's in childbirth here, okay? So as a result of the curse, I'm not so sure that she's not having litters of children here. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, you're going to have to do something, if you're going to populate the earth. And so I'm not so sure that's not the case. Now, Cain and Abel are the two that are mentioned, which makes us believe then that just like their father, they're representative of humanity or of all mankind. Cain, of course, of a wicked line, we we understand that, and and Abel to a, a righteous line coming right from Adam. Now, we know that Cain would go on to murder his brother Abel, right? And, and that's, a, that's a given. We all know that if we've been in church at all, we've read at all any, anything in the Bible. But probably Cain and Abel were likely around 100 years of age when that happened. And you say, 100 years of age? That seems a little bit out of, wow, that's crazy. Well, it seems somewhat probable to me when we look at uh, the birth of Seth. Now, I want you to look again in Genesis 4.25. Notice what the Bible says here. Now remember, and we're going to see the the fall of man, then we're going to see this Cain and Abel situation. It's a mess, you know, of course. But notice what the Bible says about Seth and when Adam actually had him. In Genesis 4.25, the Bible says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. So this child is after Abel. Genesis 5, 3 says, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now again, he's pointing out another one of the offspring. Now I don't believe that there's only three children that have been born because Cain is already on the hunt for a wife and that comes up so there's a, there's a girl around somewhere. So what we're seeing, however, is that Adam is 130 years old when he has Seth and he probably had Seth not long after the death of his son. So that means it's more than likely they got out of the garden and they had some children and as a result, Cain and Abel were born and probably a hundred years has passed now. Cain ends up killing his brother and now she has another child to take the place of Abel. 130 years after is, is how old it says Adam is here. So, or yeah, Adam is so so more than likely, probably around 100 or so years of age is when this all went down. So, why did Abel? Why did Abel? Um, have, you know, why did he die really? You know, what was this all about? Well, the death of Abel was probably due to a religious dispute, as we see in the scriptures. I mean, religious battles have taken so many lives over the years. I mean, let's face it: there's more people who have died from religious wars than any wars in the world. I mean, people are always fighting over religion. I mean, it's just a—it's the thing to do. Unfortunately, it's not a good thing to do. So, the death of Abel was probably due to a religious dispute, and again, it was between Cain and Abel. And again, we're going to see as we look in Scripture that it was on them—it had to do with a religious offering. What was being offered to God and a differing opinion and how they felt about what they were doing for God and on behalf of God and who was right and who was wrong and who's judging who and who's not judging. And it was crazy. Look at what happens here. Look in Genesis chapter 4. Notice in verse... Four, let's look at chapter four verse four no let's go back a little bit go back to verse one who just go back to verse one of four and Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said i've gotten a man from the Lord and she again bare her brother uh, his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. So in this particular case, we see that Abel, taking care of the cattle, so to speak, and the sheep or whatever it is, and he ends up giving an offering of blood, and God accepts that offering. Hold on, but he doesn't accept Cain's. He's a tiller of the ground. So he's probably bringing vegetables and all kinds of stuff there and saying, Here, God, this is, I'm gonna give this to you. Now, remember in the garden, whenever Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, uh, we know that they wore skins. And so the implication is that a sacrifice was made, of course, we understand that, and that blood must have been shed because now they have animal skins instead of leaves. Leaves representing human works, and the animal skins representing a, a, you know, a blood sacrifice, and that's exactly what God expects. Now, I think it's rather interesting, you never once read about Adam giving God a blood sacrifice you never read about that I I wonder I wonder how that all went down I I wonder sometimes why God doesn't talk about that why he doesn't mention that I'm wondering sometimes did Adam ever even really repent of his sin I, I don't really know and there's nothing in the Bible that gives us an indication either way. But the point just being is, why doesn't God tell us that? And yet when it comes to Abel, he knows he's supposed to offer blood to the Lord. He knows that's the sacrifice that's acceptable. But Cain still is unwilling to offer what God asked for. That's interesting to me. But God, in the long run, even though Cain would not offer the bloody sacrifice that God expected of him. Instead, he offers the works that he himself provides. God still gives him another chance. And in chapter 4, verse 7, if thou doest well, thou uh, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over it. Now again, the statement there, sin lieth at the door, gives us the impression as we look into it and we try to understand it, that he's saying, listen, uh, there's a sacrifice here that you can give. It's available. Just give it to me. Give me what I asked for and it'll all be fine. You can do right also, Cain. You also have the opportunity to please me and to honor me with your sacrifice. It's available. Right there it is. You, You do it and everything's good to go. Of course, we know that Cain jumped right on that opportunity and was so happy that God was willing to forget and forgive and go forward. No, that's not what happened, is it? Instead of repenting and righting the wrong, Cain becomes increasingly bitter and angry. In verse 8 of that same chapter, it says, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him." Now, we know that Cain was angry. We've seen that in verse 5. And his countenance even, the Bible says, fell. He wasn't happy. He didn't have any joy. He was just ticked off and angry all the time. Why? Because God didn't accept his sacrifice. And i got to believe that, obviously, because he kills his brother, he often thinks his brother's really ticked off at him. Not ticked off at him, but is judging him. Because he's like, oh, you're a goody-two-shoes. You think you got all the answers, and here I am over here doing my best. You think what you're offering God's better than what I'm offering? And and I'm sure Abel's like, listen, listen, bro, uh, you know what, you know, you're my brother, and I love you to death, but you know what God said. We gotta do what God says. We gotta do it the way God says to do it. Well, I work harder than you anyway. You're mom and dad's favorite. You're their little pet. You're a, and boom, I mean, he's so ticked off. He's so upset. He even kills his brother. He slew him, the Bible says. You know, James chapter 1, verse 20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Well, you tell you what, old Cain got angry, and before it was over with, he was killing his brother. We've got to be careful with our anger. We really do. <laughs> so what role did Satan play in all of it? Because we know this was a real mess right off the bat, God says, "Okay, I'm going to permit, I'm going to put you under this this uh, new um, opportunity, and it's called conscience. You're going to get, you can rule things, uh, you know, determine determine whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, based on conscience, and uh, give you the chance to prove me wrong. uh, You know that that you can live uh, this way and prosper this way and do well this way, and of course, early on we already see." a brother killing his own brother it's it's amazing so what role did satan play well i believe and probably you would agree that the whole thing was satan's scheme to destroy abel and we know who abel was he was the one by which the promised seed would come through he was the one ultimately that would crush satan's head that his seed the seed that would go through abel would be ultimately christ who would crush satan's head so Satan's already trying to wreck and ruin humanity by doing away with the seed, Abel, and trying to thwart God's plan of providing a Savior. And So that's what we see taking place here. Now, again, it's pretty clear then that, Set, uh, that, that, that Abel did not have a son. I, I don't know. Maybe he had a daughter. I don't know. But the seed passes through the man. So Abel didn't have a son or there'd have been no need for Seth. But God says, okay, even though you thought you got over on me, devil, even though you thought you've got the victory, guess what? I got a game plan. I got a backup plan. It's ready to go. His name is Seth. And so Satan was not only the instigator of Abel's murder, he was the author of Cain's religion. And can I tell you that Cain, in the, in, in the, the book of Genesis, it is what we call the seed plot of the Bible. Every, every real major doctrine begins or finds its roots or finds its roots in Genesis. And so what we're going to find is that religion, man's religion, is rooted here in Cain's situation here. We're going to see it right here. Because what does Cain do? He brings the fruit of his hands. He's going to try to provide his own works to honor God and to find favor with God, and yet that's not what God asks for. And that is exactly what the world's religions do. There are only two religions in the entire world. There is a religion that says you work your way to heaven. Or there's the religion that says Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. You say, I know other religions that have leaders, though, and you worship their leader. Yeah, but their leaders say you still have to live good works, uh, live good lives, in order to make your way to heaven, wherever it is, nirvana or wherever it may be. No, salvation is by grace through faith, and that is it. No, nothing else. And so we see here the religion basically of Cain, and he started it all off, and it's bad. In Jude chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, it, it goes on to say this, and, and woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Let me tell you something. The root of every single problem in the world today and in the church is found in those three people. Every single problem. Every single one. The way of Cain attacks the message of God. Because the message of God is grace. You have to become my way. You do it the way I say. And in this case, it's grace. And if we don't go to God in grace, then we don't get to God. No matter how talented we are, no matter how wonderful we may think ourselves to be, our efforts and our works will never get the job done. Amen. The way of Cain attacks the message of God. We have the heir of Balaam. That attacks the method of God. We know that Balaam, there he is over there being asked by Balak, the Moabite king, to curse God's people. Of course, he won't do it because God won't give him the right to do so. He won't give him the, the opportunity to. He said, don't, don't do it. You can't because I'm blessing him. You can't curse them. But after being wore down over and over, after finding himself influenced by the world so awfully much, he finally gives in. And instead of cursing the people, he causes them to compromise. He, 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 he teaches or tells, tells uh, the king what you need to do is you need to pray to a bunch of pretty girls over there and get the guys all, wow, wow, now those are some good-looking girls. And then, when they end up getting married to those girls, before it's over with, they'll become idolatrous as well. By the way, it's usually the girl who influences the guy religiously. And so, he then, it shouldn't be, but that's the way it always seems to be to me. I don't know what it is. But anyway, and we see it right there in Scripture. And so, all of a sudden now, all of these guys, these Israelites, are intermarrying with these ungodly Pagans who are idol worshipers. It's messing everything up. It's not God's way. God says for for us to be a separate people, to be different and distinct from the world. But that's exactly what Balaam did. He said, let's go ahead and kind of get them hooked up with the the, the ungodly. And and as a result, then we won't have to curse them. God will do it for us. And he did. And then the Bible talks about the gainsaying of Korah. That's, Korah is the one who attacks the man of God. So in this particular case, we've got Korah who questions and even defies God's God given authority. And um, it's a problem. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now these three men and their particular positions have continued to follow mankind through history. And sadly enough, we see it in the churches. The way of Cain, the era of Balaam, the gainsaying of Korah, they're all there. It's always there. And it's a problem. And so we see it rooted in the book of Genesis. And there it is, stares us right in the face. And we think, we would think we would learn. You would think we would learn, but we never learn. We never learn. You know, that's the one thing. History is supposed to tell us or teach us what what has come. And you should learn from history. We never learn from history, do we? We never learn from history. We should, but we don't. So we're going to see that this society and sin continue to grow and continue to go forward. And I'm going to close this up here, but we see that ultimately Cain goes his own direction. And he marries, so now he's got a family. And what happens? Well, he begins to build a city now. And boy, I'll tell you what, he has among his descendants a fellow by the name of Jubal, who's an inventor of musical instruments. Don't think for a minute that on earth Satan isn't up to his neck in music. Right there it is. I mean, right off the bat, the first man, who he he murders his brother. And he now has a descendant who is going to be the, I mean, he is the Michael Jackson of his day. I mean, he has so much influence over the world even to this day. Every single performer that's doing worldly music can go right back to Jubal. Right back there. And let me tell you something. Music's a bad fella. We think about Babylon, and we think about that 90-foot image. When you hear the music, bow. Music is a universal language. Be careful with your music. It's not a matter of your opinion. There are some biblical principles that have to be followed. You say, what are they? Well, I'm glad you asked. We don't have time now, but we are going to have to address that again. Because I think that in this day and age in which we live, Christians somehow have got the idea that they are allowed to have their own opinion about what the Bible teaches and what God says. Cain thought he could, and he found out it doesn't work that way. Yep. you still got to do things God's way if you want God's blessing. Amen. Now, again, you don't have to. That's your prerogative. Nobody's, listen, I'm not mad at you. Do whatever you want. I, I tell people all the time, don't get mad at me for telling you the truth. Don't, I won't get mad at you for not obeying it. I mean, honestly, that's that's up to you. Do what you want to do. But you and I both know that when we do what God wants us to do, it always turns out better than when we don't. We all know that or we wouldn't be here tonight. We know that. So you say, well, you're preaching to the choir. I know, but listen, can I tell you that every child needs reminded from time to time of things. Every adult needs reminded of things. You've worked at your job long enough. Guess what you've heard? The same thing from your boss a million times. You know why? Because repetition is the key of learning. And we have to be reminded sometimes of things to keep the standard high. So, in conclusion, these people lived for over a thousand years. Think about that now. We often talk about Darwinism, evolution, and how we are always evolving and getting better. The truth is, we're getting worse. Think about then where they were at all those years ago, and the mental capacity and the abilities that they had, the perfect man, he was called the son of God, Adam was. Everything closest to Adam is better than everything further away because we are not evolving, we are devolving. Sin is taking a toll on us. I really believe before the flood, the technology and the world in which they live far surpassed what we even can comprehend in this world. I believe that. Think about the greatest scientists on earth having 1,000 years to perfect their inventions. We're lucky to get 70 or 80 years. They had over 1,000, some of them, almost 1,000 years. That's a long time. So I believe that the pre-flood civilization was more sophisticated and advanced than we can imagine. And so in Genesis 6-1, then man began to multiply on the face of the earth. And guess when it ended? Genesis chapter 6, right? Because what happened? The, The imagination of men was evil continually. And what did God do? He brought the flood. It repented God that he had created man. Isn't that a sad statement? you know, I never want God to regret saving me. You say, well, he could never do that. Yeah, but I don't even want to give him the, I would not even want to give him the thought. And that is exactly how conscience ends. It just doesn't work. Man is not very good at figuring out right and wrong on his own. He needs God to spell it out. And so, that's a blessing in and of itself, isn't it? That was a a mouthful right there I just got done saying. But nonetheless, the conscience of man can never provide mankind with the needed tools to overcome sin, and we see it end in failure, just like innocence did. Now we see conscience ending in failure. I wonder, when all is said and done, God has provided you with tons of tools in your life. The Word of God, the local church, a pastor, maybe you as a lady have a husband. Those are all things that God gives us in this life. And my question is, what will we do with them? How will we respond to a God that's been so gracious to us? Let's give God our best. And if we fail some time to believe that God's given us His best, Let's not forget that he's not the one that's broken. If anybody would be broken, it's me. It's never God. What will I do with what God's given me? That's the question. And the question is, what will you do? May God help us to do our best with whatever he gives us so that we can ultimately please him and bring favor, find his favor in our life.